And that, even from so short a psalm as this, not only do we see all these things, but also important truth that God always fulfills His promises. And that in Him we can know that His Word will be fulfilled. So let us first look at verse 1, which says, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud Him, all you peoples. Unlike the disdain shown to the Gentiles by the Pharisees of the New Testament, here is a psalm calling on the Gentiles to praise the Lord. It is ultimately a call for all people to praise the Lord, but it mentions the Gentiles, those who are not Jews, specifically to offer up praise as well. So that there is no confusion as the intent of this psalm. In the end, all must praise the Lord, for he is good. Since the time of Abraham, it was understood by the Jewish people that salvation was for the Jews alone. Even if one were to mention such people like Rahab or Ruth, who were Gentiles, accepted into God's chosen people, some Jewish leaders would say that they were merely exceptions to the rule. And the rule was this, that the Jews were alone the chosen people of the Lord, and that the majority of Gentiles would not be a part of God's people. And yet, once more, we have scripture passages such as this psalm, which flies in the face of this presumption. This psalm is in harmony to the songs and psalms of David, who say in both Psalm 18 and in 2 Samuel 22, that he will confess God's name among the Gentiles. Also, we read in the Song of Moses, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. These are but a few passages which show that the Gentiles are to hear the word of God. With this psalm as well, we see that if God is to be praised by the Gentiles, then that means that the Messiah will also come to save those who are not Jewish, who worship God as well. Not only this, but this verse says, Laud him, all you peoples. So laud is a different way of saying praise. To praise. And the fact that this is stated twice is to show that there should be no confusion. Anytime there is repetition in the Bible, it's for us to pay particular attention. All people, Jews, non-Jews, the Greek, all are to recognize the sovereignty of God and that the promise of Jesus Christ's coming and death on the cross will save God's chosen people. And God's chosen people is not just for the Jews. This is important because it shows that part of that gospel message that Christ preaches. This is also that missionary verse. We preach the gospel to all people. Without hesitation, for all are called to praise the Lord. To drive this point home even further, Paul in his letter to the Romans quotes this psalm as proof that Christ came to pay the punishment for our sins that he meant to fulfill the promises made to the patriarchs of the Old Testament, but also so that those who are not Jews, those that are called Gentiles, might glorify God. Romans chapter 15, verses 7 through 11 says, Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us, to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers. 
and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy, as it is written, For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to you your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you people. And so there goes Paul, quoting from ever more verses pointing to this truth. And some of you may recognize the other verses here quoted by Paul. There were the other verses mentioned earlier, in fact, in this sermon. And they are in harmony with Psalm 117. And how do we know this? Because Paul uses them all together to drive that point home further of what Christ's death on the cross means. The psalm by itself tells us of the expectation of both Jews and Gentiles praising God. But with Paul's words, we can now understand that this psalm more certainly points to the kingdom of Jesus Christ and the new church that would come about after his death. And also show that this is not isolated, this psalm. But it is in union, in harmony, with Scripture, with other songs, and then with the New Testament. It is all for a point and purpose, and all together. And so we see that expectations of both Gentiles and Jews worshiping God as it is revealed to us in this psalm. And it is also an expectation of that kingdom to come. What kingdom? The kingdom of heaven. That kingdom governed by Christ. To be a spiritual kingdom of which the church is a part. Waiting in the next great expectation, which is for Christ's return. This verse then also reveals to us a, another important aspect. Which is being the fulfillment of God's promise. This psalm is one of praise, expecting both Gentiles and Jews to praise and worship God. But it also promises that this will indeed happen. With this, we also get a chance to acknowledge the nature of God, that being His faithfulness. And in regarding God's faithfulness, we know that we need not worry about the future. Any worries that we come up with are mere temptations to distract us from that overwhelming truth that God guides us, He protects us, He knows all that will happen, and it happens for a reason. And everything that God has stated all His promises will come to pass. So we need not worry about the future. But in looking at the future promises that both Jew and Gentile will praise God and are expected to praise God, now, in verse 2, we also get to see why Jew and Gentile shall praise God. At the very end of the previous point, we saw a glimpse of God's nature revealed to us in His faithfulness but now in verse 2 of our scripture reading this morning, God's nature is fully acknowledged and gives us the why there shall be such great praise. Verse 2 says, For His merciful kindness is great for him, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Now there are already verses sufficient enough to tell us why we should praise God. Indeed, if you were to be extra specific, from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the very beginning, we know that God is our Creator. And as such, we give Him praise and honor. So, from the very beginning of the Bible to the very end. Countless examples. The whole book, the whole revelation of Scripture points to how we should praise the Lord and to honor Him 
But the Bible gives us a look at the many aspects of God that we acknowledge as yet another reason for praise and thanksgiving. And here, in verse 2, Psalm 117, we see His merciful kindness and that it is righteous. This by itself is reason enough, but when paired with the first verse, we get to explore this a bit more. We are a people that is totally undeserving of salvation. We are totally depraved, sinners. We are sinners that are evil in the sight of God. And yet, we have not been able to follow God's commandments, yet God has mercy on us. Some folks have said that, well, doesn't it seem not fair for God to save some of the people of humanity and not everyone the world over? In response to this, I say, if God was fair, everyone of humanity would be in hell. Let us be thankful that instead of going purely with what He has every right to do, that He shows us indeed mercy. He sent forth His only begotten Son to pay that punishment for sin. We see in verse 1 that expectation of both Jews and Gentiles to worship God. And from Paul we see that this is an expectation of Christ's coming. We see this psalm then as a psalm of hope. A psalm of praise. A psalm acknowledging who God is and what He does. So now in verse 2, we know why these great things will happen. It is because God is indeed merciful. His mercy is such that even Gentiles who are so separate from the original composition of God's chosen people, that being the Jews, but they also get the taste of God's mercy if they truly believe. And so, of course, we see God's mercy, His kindness, is great. Not just in the sense of being large, for it is that, but also in the sense of being powerful. This merciful kindness is a part of that power that prevails over sin, Satan, death, and hell. The justice of God demands that there be punishment for the sin of mankind, but such is the power of God's mercy that He sends His Son to pay that punishment. Such is the power of His love that He is able to do this. This is the power of the Lord the strength of His mercy and of His love to an undeserving people that is composed of both Jew and Gentile. When we think of power, we think of many different things. And God is powerful in many different ways. When we think of the power of love and of mercy, we can think of no greater example than of what God has done for us in the sending of His Son. In what better way He has done by saving us and in salvation, we see that power. And that which is revealed in the glory of the gospel, we see it evermore. And so in reading Psalm 117, we see that this is part of that great revelation that has been revealed since the beginning. God's power is great. God is love. God is merciful. And in that, every single thing that we have our life, the church, our fellow congregational members, those that sit next to us in our pews. These are also a gift and a blessing to us. 
especially in times of hardship and trouble. One of the many promises God gives us is that no matter what trial assails us, He gives us a way of escape so that we may endure. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And in so doing so, we are given strength. God gives us strength to bear our day-to-day in this sinful world. And the many blessings He bestows upon us, whether it is that financial stuff that makes sure that we get through our day-to-day bills and such, or whether it is the comfort, the companionship of our fellow Christians within the church. These all are used by God to help us, to strengthen us in our day-to-day fight. For a fight it is. Constant warfare against the world. One that we can't win by our own power, but again, the power comes from the Lord, whose powerful love and mercy sustains us. So looking at this psalm, we see that the psalmist here says that his merciful kindness is great towards us, but who is us? As it was written in this psalm, when it says us, what is the composer saying? Since the composer of the psalm is likely Jewish, does that mean us as in the Hebrews, the people of Israel? When looking at it by itself, it is tempting to say that this word us is considered about the Jews. But with verse 1 behind us, we know that the true us is God's chosen people in general, which is not restricted to the Jewish people. So, when it says here that His merciful kindness is great towards us, is great towards God's people, is great towards His chosen. Not any specific race or creed of people, but to the one cultural point that matters. Those who are part of Christ's kingdom. Those who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven which Christ has established. The grace and mercy of God is felt by all people in that God's chosen people is not restricted just to the Jews. So the mercy of God is felt by those whom God chooses. And who God chooses is not up to those who say, well, only the Jews. We don't know who God chooses. And so we minister and we preach to all people so that those who are called to God's mercy hear it and come. The psalmist here says that we are ultimately all children of Adam. But by the death of Christ on the cross, we are children of God. God's chosen people extends to us all tribes and nations whom God has called to repentance and belief. So with this simple word of us, we see that hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Even more in the New Testament, who always used the word us in the sense of Jews, and used the word them for everyone else. However, this psalm shows just how much the Pharisees have to ignore in order to view Gentiles in such a manner. It then looks that no matter how pious, no matter how knowledgeable they are in the Word, they did not truly understand it. The religion of Abraham, as they would say, was so firm in their hearts, they would claim. But indeed, they view their religion as someone's view of a sports team, a matter of great national pride, a sign of cultural superiority, but of faith 
mercy? They have no room for that when they consider such a thing. And though the Pharisees of the New Testament are long since gone, the spirit of the Pharisees endures. And it is very much a temptation to this very day. There are none of us who would claim to be Jewish and say that it's only for the Jewish people. Or at least that is presumption on my part, I will admit. And yet, sometimes it is viewed as, well, we're very proud to be Christian. Very proud of our church. It's the great, the best there is. Yet, are we viewing it in just the manner that they do? That very proud of our Christian heritage, but not for the point that it matters. As in, what does the gospel say? What are the promises given? What is the comfort? Why does it matter? That's the important thing. So we look then at the final words of the psalmist Christ, that being, the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. God is to be praised not only for his faithfulness and his merciful kindness, but also for his truth. It is a very common phrase nowadays, perhaps you have heard it before, that some people will say, well, this is my truth. Rejected all notion of an idea that there is an objective truth. And the objective truth is God. For indeed, God is truth. His ever-enduring truth means that He will not change in His love and goodness to us. It also means that this, what has been written in the Bible, His Scripture is truth. And it will endure forever. God's mercy will endure. God's revelation will endure. His truth will endure. Scripture will never pass away and the promises of God will be fulfilled. Whatever trials, whatever dangers, whatever befalls us, we need not be afraid. God is with us and His power is ever shown through every page in Scripture points to that great harmony of all that has been revealed. God is with us. God is with His people. So this then is that great comfort to us and the reason for such praise. For this is who God is. He is truth. He is justice. He is love. He is mercy. So this then gives us a duty. As it says, praise the Lord. And this there is a command. Indeed, praise Him. This is, after all, a psalm of praise. A psalm of promise. And it is also a command. Let us come together then and praise God. Let us come together and worship Him. We have been told of His mercy. We have been told of His faithfulness. We have been pointed to Christ. So let us praise Him. Let us show forth fruits of thankfulness. We thank God not just outwardly, but inwardly. We thank Him with our anxious, with our soul, constantly, daily, searching out Scripture, desiring to learn. All of these are thankful. And in all these ways, let's not forget prayer. For indeed, as you read the Psalms, you'll find that a lot of these Psalms are in the form of a prayer. They read like it too. And Psalm 117, while short, is with that as well. A prayer. And of praise. And of looking towards God. And such we get a command. 
So in reading these last words of Psalm 117, let us indeed dwell on how short this psalm is, but how deep its meaning goes. The echo of the psalm comes again in the letter to that Romans which Paul had wrote. But it echoes forth not just there, but in all the promises that have been fulfilled in the New Testament. For it shows the promise of Christ by showing the mercy of God. Both verses come to show the great hope of man is that Christ has come to pay the punishment for sin. That God is faithful and just. And that we do not need fear. We do not need to worry. When Christ preached and ministered, the Pharisees scoffed at him. And even while they recited psalms like Psalm 117 during Passover, at the same time, we read in places such as Mark chapter 14, verse 26, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. These hymns mentioned here in Mark, these songs sung at these times, could indeed be the very same psalms of praise from Psalm 113 through 118, which includes Psalm 117. Paired with what Paul tells us about this passage, it's not too hard to think that Jesus recited this very same psalm during his ministry. And that is also something we want. The Pharisees recited the psalm out of tradition. Christ recited it because he came to fulfill it. He recited it because it is part of his ministry. It's part of that message that he came to this earth. He came to suffer and die so that the promises of God would be fulfilled, that the mercy of God may be shown. The truth of God is thus revealed in this passage, and it shows God's grace. The psalmist has placed God's mercy first in order that his faithfulness and truth may also show forth, that his assurance of his kindness and his love may be on our minds as we read it and so that it may encourage the hearts of the godly. His power and justice are equally praiseworthy, but as men will always ever look towards certain aspects, we need to look at everything that is revealed to us in Scripture, all that we know of God, and focus on everything. Mercy, justice, truth, it is all important. And the psalmist here chooses to emphasize God's mercy but it is also to all of who God is. All for God is worthy of praise. And from this, we have comfort, but then also our mission. To go forth and to be that example. Some are called to minister with the knowledge they have of Scripture. Others are called to minister in other ways. Living a Christian life. Being a living example to others. And the church is called to go forth with no hesitation to all countries and cultures, to labor hard for the gospel, as those who are farmers labor in the soil to make crops grow, so too the church has to labor hard in foreign soils to grow crops of people, to labor, to minister, and with the truth of the scripture ever before and the gospel that they may ever grow the church as the Lord wills. So as we praise God, as we go forth to Him in prayer, and as we come to church for worship, 
Let it also be acknowledged that such short psalms, such as Psalm 117, which is the shortest psalm, works also as a great missionary verse. For it says that all people shall praise Him. A promise kept by Christ's death on the cross and the free offer of the gospel to Gentiles as well as Jews. Indeed, also a promise that the unconquerable gospel will always go forth, will always succeed. We must do our part in thankfulness for our salvation to continue to spread his work. So in reading the psalm, we have promise, fulfillment, Christ, our mission. Not bad for a psalm only comprising two verses. And so, with such words in our hearts, may we ever steadfast and never waver for a moment. Amen. And now let us go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, sometimes we wonder and we think about the words of Scripture and some of those short verses, whether it be from the New Testament with just the simple two words of Jesus wept to the shortest song. But every dot, every tittle, Every word that is presented to us from thy revelation, we know is for our benefit, and so that we may ever and better serve thee. We ask that thou wouldst be with us, O Lord, to acknowledge thy grace and mercy, thy love and kindness, and the fact that thou art truth, and that the truth is in thy word, thy scripture, and in everything that thou hast revealed to us. Make us acknowledge it, O Lord. And as we go forth to toil in our day to day, we also acknowledge the mercy, the power, the majesty, and indeed thy commands that thou hast shown through Scripture, even such as short as Psalm 117. That we may go forth not with hesitation, but with boldness, with conviction, with the knowledge that Thy truth is the most important, and it must be spread far and wide. And so, O Lord, we ask that Thou wouldst guide us. Give us strength, O Lord, in this mission. For the world is a distracting place, with temptations and sins, the warring culture, but those things that would make us angry or despondent, sorrowful or depressed. O Lord, Remind us of passages such as these, that Thou art with Thy people. Thy promises are always fulfilled, that Thou wilt always guide us and give us that which we desire so much, which is peace. And Thou art the Lord of peace. Be with us then as we go forth, O Lord, so that we may have that peace which passes all understanding, be Christians worthy of the name, Christian. And in all thankfulness, continually pray to Thee for guidance, for wisdom, but also for ever-growing thankfulness for Thy word and for Thy Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. In Jesus' name, Amen. <laughs>